Hi everyone, my name is Saya and this is the Hearsay podcast number 33. Uh, some might say I didn't think this name through very well because if people don't know my name is pronounced Saya, uh, they might pronounce it Hearsedge um, or something else, but hey, I Hearsedge is okay. I've been answering to Sedja, Serge, Sega, Seizure, Sia, amongst others my entire life, so why should my podcast be any different? Uh, my guest today is the very prolific Mikey Young. You might know Mikey from his band's Eddie Current Suppression Ring, Total Control, Ooga Boogers, Lace Curtain, amongst others. Or you might know him from mixing and mastering pretty much every indie rock band in Australia. Uh, I met Mikey when we played some shows together supporting Devo, so we talk a little bit about that. Look, really any excuse for me to talk about supporting Devo. <laughs> um, I'll take it. Mikey's strange show experience was illustrated by my friend Cameron Hawes. Cam has played in heaps of bands, including I Heart Hiroshima and Slug Guts, and he's a really great artist in his own right. So if you get a chance to check out some of his stuff, please do. Remember, you can see all illustrations on Instagram at Hearsay Podcast or Hearsedge for some of you, uh, or on the Hearsay Facebook page. Like and subscribe if you feel like it. Send me a message if you feel like it. Thank you all for your lovely comments so far. Here we go. Hearsay number 33, Mikey Young. find it hard to be out of the city whilst doing lots of projects? Uh, no, because none of my bands really play that much. Like, uh, I, I think it just seems like I play in a ton of bands and I actually don't do as much as people think. Like, I mean, I work, no, like I work a lot. Yeah. Like I sit here and work all day. Um, but as far as like, I, I you know, uh, the the only really active band is Total Control at the moment, and even that as an active band is not you know we haven't toured overseas for a couple of years. We barely go into state. We barely play in Melbourne. Like we just don't play that much anymore. Um, Was that a conscious uh, decision? Yeah, I think I'd say most of it's my doing, because um, I get a bit freaked out by tour sometimes yeah. and don't want it to happen but um what freaks you out about tour uh mm, i don't know just like being away uh, from home and being away from yeah comfort. i guess so yeah i must just be a real homebody and, and yeah i'm i'm the same i think it's it's pretty easy to especially as we get older i just want to spend more and more time at home yeah and i'm i'm, I'm not I'm not actually that bad when I'm once I'm on it. It's more the anticipation of it. So like, if I say yes to a tour like of America and there's like three months to go before that tour, like those three months will just be hell for me. Yeah, yeah. And then and then I'll get there and I'll just go, ah, oh, this is fine. <laughs> um, so it's not it's not the actual flying or the actual playing or you know everyone in my band is my you know best friend, so that's not a drag. But um, it's more just this anticipation that and and I lose every 
any aspect of like a good time that could happen, like I just can't even fathom and I just like just start imagining uh, it's just all bad in my head. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Um, I know, but it's all, it's, you know, it's always better than I imagine. Yeah. So it's cool. What do you imagine um, is going to happen? That I'm just, I'm just going to like not like my bandmates. Yeah. Or I'm, uh, which is ridiculous because I love my bandmates. Yeah. Like <laughs> totally rad dudes. Yeah. Um, uh, and I just look at it as this life-changing event. Like if I do this, it's going to like, you know, it's, it's just <laughs> going to be this really pivotal thing. And and and, then, and it never is. Like it's just something that happens for a month or something. Yeah, I, I think I know what you mean. And I have the same thing that the build-up is quite stressful. But do you do you have a lot of organizational tasks in your bands? I used to like um, back in the Eddie current days. I was pretty much like booker, you know, manager, you know, everything. Yeah, and um, which I really enjoyed, and probably I, I really enjoyed until the end um like the last tour where it was just getting a little too large for me to relax so like I, I handed that over to someone else which was good um total control is a bit of a like a, a yeah it's a pretty f- kind of fair beast where everyone seems to have a role and and no one's kind of un- under too much stress like uh, yeah uh, it, it's not too bad in total control but we don't have like we don't have bookers and managers. Or really? Have you ever stuff. been in a band that's had a team? Um, no. Um, we have a book. We have a book over. Like, in both bands, there's a dude in America that has booked our tours. But even even then, we're pretty hands on. Like, we we want to tell him who we're going to play with and where we're going to play. So he's just you know sometimes it's good just to have someone to like battle the kind of financial side oh totally because that's kind of always icky yeah Um, I used to have a friend who um who would pretend to be like he would have a a different email address and he would pretend to be another person to argue for more money (laughs) yeah 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 um we have uh, in my other band Ooga Boogers um uh, I, sh- I shouldn't say this out loud because I'm giving the game away, but it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, it's just Stacky, uh, the singer, has an alter ego, yeah. Jonathan, Wil- Jonathan Wilmot, who, who's, a, who's a lawyer from Wilmot and Wilmot. Um, That's amazing. So, um, yeah, we're, when we're in a pickle, we get him to come and bat for us. I love that. I need yeah, I need an alter ego. I'm the worst at that shit. Well, you you can just use Jonathan Wilmot. Okay. Yeah. Can I? Can I? <laughs> I, mean, I might, he might seem more believable if everyone starts. That's true. Him. All right, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to go back all the way to you growing up in Frankston. When did you start playing guitar? Like, do you remember what you were listening to when you were starting to get excited about playing music? Yeah, I, I was always like really into listening to music. Like, I. I owned records from the age of three and like you know the idea of like countdown and sounds and record stores was like you know just really fascinating to me but I I think I I think I had guitar lessons you know just acoustic guitar lessons in primary school in around grade five and then I stopped for a bit and then maybe I'm gonna say like 14 I started doing like 
guitar lessons with a cousin of mine and like electric guitar no that was still acoustic but i think i bought an electric guitar in when i was like 16 or 15 in frankston um for like 350 bucks and that is still that's still the same guitar i use amazing like live so yeah it it was a pretty good purchase (laughs) that's great and do you remember yeah. what you were listening to? Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's weird. I don't remember anything I was listening to. Thinking, I don't remember hearing a band and thinking I want to start a band because of this. Like, I, I think like my brother, who's like five years older than me, he was a drummer, so he had his mates around, and they were in like kind of thrash and hardcore bands. So like, um, and they always used to jam at the house. So I guess just seeing that happen was probably like more influential than any real records like not that they were playing music that i really loved or anything it was just you know there must have been something subconscious and kind of attractive about it yeah something loud Um, yeah and then i just started jamming with my brother i bought the electric guitar we used to jam as a two-piece two-piece and i started just making up songs that um we just jam instrumentally that's Um, awesome i guess i must have been 15 because then we started a band in Frankston and I played a couple of gigs in Frankston. All he, yeah, all those dudes were like 20, 18, 19. And Do you remember your first gig? Yeah, because I wasn't, this is probably a, 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 as good a candidate for like an interesting <laughs> gig story as I've got. But, um, should, we wait, uh, should we wait till the end for this one? <laughs> uh, no, no, okay. let, let's just say it and see how, you know, see. Um, it was, it was, yeah, it was, a, I, I don't know if you've ever played a show in Frankston, but there's a no, never. classic venue called the Pally Bar. Because yeah, I was 15, um, maybe I just turned 16. Anyway, the ba- we, were, we were kind of setting up and the bouncer walked up and said, oh, you guys can't play here, you know, that dude's too young. Um, and my brother said, you, you know, he was like, I'm looking after him, you know, I'm his older brother, he was like, I don't care. And, and, um. Then we, we knew the band before us had like 17 year olds and that, you know, and he was like, those dudes are like 17 and the bouncer was like, I don't care. They look old. That dude looks young. Um, and they, they, and they were just like, well, we're not playing without him. He wrote all the tunes and, they were, and he was just like, get out then. And, um, so we went to pack up our stuff and, and one of them just said like, fuck it, let's just play. And so I, I had to, I grabbed my guitar. I had to like hide behind the PA stuff and I just. <laughs> Um, so, so, yeah, I was just, I was kind of crouched in this corner in the darkness and, um, playing guitar for, for, I guess, I, we only had five songs and we played them all twice, which. I love this. Which, I love which, which was like, which, 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 I mean, cause it's my first gig. I don't, I didn't know that's wrong. Like that you can't play your songs twice, but, um, looking back on it now, it's like, that's strange. Um. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, um, yeah, I remember my brother's friends were there, and they were just like, "Ah, yeah, this is good," but I can't, I can't figure out who the guitarist is. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, I got away with it. We finished playing, and we just walked out of there. But um, yeah. So my first gig was behind it, like, behind us, PA <laughs> stack. Yeah, that's awesome. And then that band played one more gig, and that was kind of the end of that. And Do you remember the feeling though of like how you felt when you were on stage? Yeah, I was still super nervous. The second gig, which was probably a couple of weeks later, which was at the rival pub across the road in Frankston, the Grand, 
um, was I was I was allowed to be seen at that one, but <laughs> I, I I remember I played in a chair. I still hadn't figured out how to play guitar with a strap, <laughs> and, and and like I just yeah, this is another like I never I didn't even think to think this is not cool. Like I'm not gonna look cool sitting <laughs> in a chair. Um, I just thought yeah, I'll do this. Um, yeah, I must have been pretty naive and like oh. yeah, I obviously didn't watch enough. Uh, YouTube footage as a 15-year-old to, to figure out what to do. You didn't but, want to um, be slash enough. No, nah, I just wanted to get it right. Oh, um, that's awesome. Were you playing pedals? Were you, like, hitting pedals in a, from a chair? No, nah, I just had, like, I would have had the worst amp and I would have just had a, you know, my bad guitar and I wouldn't have had any clue how to get good sounds. I was, I was just more interested in not messing up, you know, the notes. Yeah. Um, uh, but I do, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was amazing. Um, oh yeah, then then I was briefly like a one show hardcore band. I started with my brother, but that was kind of it. But um, yeah, as far to answer your question, as far as like records and stuff, like that that made me want to play guitar. I don't know. Like when I was really young, I was only into like Kiss and Rod Stewart. And I, and I amazing. Don't, so I, I don't think. I'm sure Kiss had an effect and made me want to be in a band, but I don't really remember, you know. And I was really into Hendrix or something too, but I, I don't. I didn't like pick up guitar and want to play like Hendrix. I just, I don't know. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I think Hendrix comes up a lot in this podcast. I guess people, um, people that play guitar just sort of zone in on that. Yeah. Early, even with like subconsciously, without realizing why. Yeah, and I, I think maybe in like my age group around like let's say like the ninety early nineties, mm. like the mythology of like you know Jim Morrison, Hendrix, and Bob Marley or something as a fourteen year old oh, yeah. like was pretty heavy. I don't know if it still is, but I can't imagine it really is for the average teenager anymore. Yeah, but, I wonder about um, that. I wonder because it was all about that for us, wasn't it? It was all about like those big posters and. Yeah, like lame. Yeah, shit. like you know, t-shirts down the kind of bong shop, and yeah, um, like I guess the yeah. Doors movie just came out. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm sure all that kind of like seeped into my head as like a. I I imagine because the age difference is probably pretty similar now, but like, I'm sure any kid that wants to be in a band like mythologizes Nirvana or something. Absolutely. Like yeah. Um. Yeah, it was all for us. It was all about like Jimi Hendrix, Bob Marley, Nirvana, um, The Cure. I had a lot of posters of Robert Smith on my wall for a while. Leonard Cohen, yeah. like all like all the the bands that I think when you listen to them, your brain sort of explodes slightly because there's such a new totally. thing that you haven't heard before. What what age was that? Like Leonard Cohen and The Cure. Well, I think for me that, that was about thirteen, fourteen, where I heard all of that right. stuff for the first time. Yeah, I I I was definitely a massive Cure fan around then. I definitely I didn't hear Leonard Cohen until my twenties. Yeah, really, right. Um. Yeah, mine was all my older brother. My older brother was just playing me all, all the stuff that I was like, "Whoa, this is <laughs> incredible." <that's> cool. <laughs> I think I was like fighting against my older brother at that oh, stage yeah. still, you know, like, you know, if he was into it, I was not into right. it. Like, um, if you're listening to, to death metal, I'm listening to Rod Stewart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
I think the hard-ons was the first band that he was into that I was just like, ah, oh, I can get along with this. Well, hard-ons are cool because hard-ons are, are like both hardcore and poppy. Yeah, well, I mean, they're so catchy, like, so, like, it wasn't um, intimidating. And also there's that kind of cartoony element to it all. Definitely. It's very inviting. Yeah. Um, but I, I think mainly I was just like a insane kind of countdown watcher and then when I turned 13, I, like religiously tape rage every week yeah i did that too and then like have a second vhs recorder where i couldn't make like yes. the best of friday night rage i did that too <laughs> so complicated so, now <laughs> yeah 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 and like you think like oh i'm gonna like this is gonna be a gold mine you know people are gonna be thanking me for having this in years but like not 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 um not predicting the rise of YouTube <laughs> at all, you know. Now I'm just sitting around with a bunch of tapes. <laughs> I actually got rid of my Rage tapes sort of recently because I don't have a, a VCR player anymore and I just thought, oh, fuck it, I'm never going to watch this again. If you look on YouTube, though, like a lot of film clips have that Rage kind of like. Yeah, mind, oh, like, totally, it, yeah. So if it wasn't for people taping Rage, like a lot of people would have, a lot of clips would have bit the dust. Yeah, that's true. Um, So do you... I, I read somewhere or maybe somebody told me, did you get signed to Modular as some kind of development deal back in the day? Wow. Who told you that? I think my husband told me that. I don't know how he really? knew. Who's your husband? Um, he plays in this band called Undead Apes that you've mastered or mixed. Ah, yeah. right. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I mixed that like, I'm going to say five. No, I don't even think I was in this house, like six, seven yeah, years ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. But, yeah, yeah. He, I don't know how he knew that. Um, it's it's true. I don't I don't hide it. I've mentioned it to people before. But um, well, So what happened there? Can you talk to me about that? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I, was, I was just making, like, I was always into, like, four tracks and stuff. Like, um, I remember, like, the day my brother's friend brought a four track around when I was, like, 17 or something. And I think it was the first... The first time I realized you could put music on music. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 like overdub. Amazing. Yeah. And, um, so when, when I finally moved to the city at like 21 or something, I bought like an early digital four track and, um, that taped onto like zip discs or something. <laughs> um, super, um, super great format these days. Yeah. 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 Everyone loves them. Um, <laughs> I, and I think I owned one mic and I was just like, and I, I bought like a one really like this dance keyboard that had like primitive sampling and like, you know, some scratching sounds or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I used to just sit around the house and make like kind of poor man's Portishead, I guess. Awesome. Um, that sounds great. It's not. Oh. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I like, I, I, you know, I probably would like a lot of poor man's Portishead, but uh, mine was, you know, <laughs> mine was just poor. Um, <laughs> but I didn't have a computer at the time, so I used to take him to my friend's Raf's house to like, and he'd like bounce him into Pro Tools and put him on a CD or something for me, just so I had something to keep. And um, Raf's friend Ransom, who was a DJ down here, was, fr- I guess he was friends with Pav. Yeah, so that's um, Steve Pav who ran the label. Module. Yeah, and yeah. um, and for some reason he liked the tunes I was doing, and and like uh, Ransom did. So he, when Pav was down one day, he just gave him like a tape, and yeah, and then I got an email from him, and he met me in Melbourne and took me to the footy one day. And was it a Carlton game? Here you go for uh, Carlton, didn't he? 
Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> nice moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a Carlton Collingwood game. Um, and I think it was me, Steve Pav, and Wally Meaning, if I, if I recall. That sounds um, good. Yeah. That sounds like a good crew. Um, yeah, our industry crew. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, he signed me up for something and he must have seen some kind of potential and so i that was when i bought my first computer and pro tools and uh like a well it's a piano and just like a bunch of stuff like to help me make music oh and awesome so you got like a little advance from signing yeah to, like it wasn't little awesome. at the time for me it was like i think it was 17 and a half grand or something it was just like, yeah that's cool. massive yeah like because yeah. I, I was just coming from my track with a sm57 you know so. <laughs> your poor man's porter's head yeah 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 totally and um <laughs> so you know i bought like a pro tool setup and stuff and still didn't really know what i was doing but you know i could do it a little better and i guess i don't know like m- even when he signed me i was just thinking what's he gonna do with this like what's this <laughs> instrument what's his plan like this just instrumental kind of nothing music and um Sure enough, I was kind of right. Like, I guess, <laughs> uh, I guess you know, within that couple of years there, he signed. I think he just signed Cut Copy and uh, yeah. maybe Wolf Mother were pretty soon to follow. And yeah, um, I, I, the, you know, uh, I was still just doing my stupid little tunes. I think that Pav was the kind of guy that he would sign. He didn't sign a lot of stuff, but he was always kind of a trendsetter kind of guy, and he he saw lots of special bands and sign them immediately because he he had that sort of intuition. Yeah, he had a, like a pretty remarkable hit rate if you He did, get, yeah. go back through all his, you know. Yeah. All his gambles, but um anyway, like I, yeah, it seemed obvious after a year or so that nothing was going to happen and I just had a drink with him one day and just was like, yeah. You kind of nothing ever happened i think i asked him i think i asked if i i said i don't care i said do i have to give the money back and he was like ah no as far as i'm concerned i'll let you down so um, oh that's nice of him and i think also like modulo had gone through like about three parent record companies in that year or so so like whoever gave me the money he's hopefully not listening to this but you know i think it went from like emi to like warner to virgin or whatever and just like yeah i'm sure i got lost in the paper trail somewhere but anyway like if it wasn't for that experience maybe i wouldn't have like forced myself to learn how to record things a little that's great so you were so you'd learned on pro tools yeah so from that point did you sort of go backwards to like recording a bit more analog style? Uh, well, that that was just I kind of got forced into that. Um, I in nineteen ninety nine I started work at Cordoray Records, which was at the time was the only vinyl pressing plant left, and it was also a record label and kind of a like a distribution house for like kind of garage rock and roll records and that was in melbourne yeah it was in like the outskirts of melbourne in a you know little suburb called hyatt and i'd been there for about a year or no probably a couple of years already and my boss uh my boss turned up to work one day with like an eight track reel to reel 
Wow. And a big old 70s mixing desk and um, he just bought a bunch of stuff. He was like, oh, Mikey, you know how to use all this stuff, don't you? Like just because I had a recording set up at home. And I was like, I was like, nah, I got no idea. He goes, yeah, you can record a band. Like, I was like, oh, I've never, nah. And he was like, yeah, you can because um, I've got the Kawis coming down from Brisbane <laughs> this weekend. And um, and so like the Hakawis, which was the band on Cotterie at the time, uh, excellent Brisbane band, but um, yeah. uh, they came down like two days later and sure enough, I recorded their album. Um, with just, on the reel-to-reel with the yeah. Band. With just no idea how to, like, set up mics <laughs> or anything, you know, like, um, just, you know, yeah, just just, just no idea at all. I was like, yeah, this, this Just put them under the tom. Yeah, yeah, I think I had one, like, <laughs> SM48, which I'm not even sure if they make that anymore, like, facing away from the drummer, like, just thinking, ah, <laughs> awesome. it would sound better with more room and less drums, I think, you know, just. <laughs> um, Did it sound good? Uh, I, I think I revisited it recently. I was like, this doesn't sound as bad as I thought. Um, <laughs> so like, and then my boss would, after work would just, cause he was in bad, he was in a band called Shutdown 66. And, um, so they would, everyone jammed there. Like, you know, everyone that worked there kind of jammed there after hours. So anytime I finished work, he, he'd like force me to stick around and like, kind of man stuff while they while they practice and just press record and set it up so if it wasn't I guess if it wasn't for him like kind of forcing me to do this stuff I wouldn't I wouldn't have had the equipment and I wouldn't have yeah been able to do it and then I guess by the time because Eddie Current kind of started down there like and all the gear was set up you know we just had you know it was it was nice to have stuff there ready to record all the time For sure. and, and i i think in it doesn't seem that long ago but in 2004 or whatever the idea of everybody being able to record themselves was just kind of non-existent like when, yeah that's right like people were still going to studios and stuff down here and i think when kind of word got around that oh, Mikey's got this stuff and he, he, he can do it. Um, maybe I'd, I think I just recorded the first Eddie Current single. Like people, yeah. just, people just started to ask me. Not I don't think not because I was any good at it. It was just because I was the only one doing it. Did you feel like your Pro Tools skills were transferable to the reel-to-reel and mixing desk uh, thing? Probably like the idea of like just like, you know, because a mixing desk on Pro Tools is still, you know, relatively the same as a mixing desk in real life. But yeah. Um, I don't think it helped me record a band because it, I guess the biggest obstacle is like learning how to mic things properly. And I, I, you know, recording one person in a bedroom, you don't, you can, don't really have to worry about leaks and. That's true. And just like, you know, you can get away with so much more, like, and you still make it kind of clean. But um, it took me a long time to figure out how to record things okay i don't think i ever really figured it out to be honest yeah. <laughs> you're doing pretty well though <laughs> I, 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 I everything i've recorded i've kind of like especially my own bands i'm like ah oh, man if i just let someone else record it i probably could have made a you know better record but <laughs> i you know i guess i wouldn't have you know if i'm if i'm gonna learn something i might as well learn on my own dime and you know, definitely make, make, make mistakes do you tell me about the theory of like doing stuff quickly not doing that many overdubs well I, I think one of my even when Nick 
first brought that stuff in, like, to Corduroy, um, one thing I was not liking at the time was, like, there was the, all these great Melbourne bands in the late 90s, early 2000s that, you know, I'd go to a show and I'd buy their CD or whatever, and none of their, like, recorded product documented, like, how good they were as a band, um, and I was just always disappointed at these, like, kind of stereo, kind of well-recorded, but just not <laughs> indicative, like, studio jobs and um yeah i was like how hard is it to just make a band sound like a band surely you just like let them play and record it and yeah just point um, a mic away from the drums yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) um so so like i I just i just thought that like if you just let a band play together in the same room and like they're comfortable and you just put mics in front of the instruments like that should sound like the band um you know, and I, I, I kind of realized it wasn't that simple in the end, but um, but it also kind of was like just you know I, I definitely came up with um, less hi-fi recordings than you know most people, and probably yeah. kind of m- more wrong recordings in a way. But like I, th- I think a lot of them had some kind of energy that was lacking, and um, you know, and that's probably the best thing about. I guess the revolution of like now every band can kind of record themselves, you know, like I feel like yeah. I feel like there's a lot of energy back in these kind of recordings. But Yeah, I mean that's definitely something to be said for people playing together in a room. Yeah. And I also like when I started recording other bands, um, most of them were pretty young and they were like making their first record and I find bands are easily intimidated and like you take it to a studio and it might sound good, but they'll just like freeze up and they'll play yeah. their songs really rigidly. And Too much pressure. So, so like, I was like, I'll just come to your rehearsal place and I'll just like sit in a corner and barely say a word and you'll kind of forget I'm there. And then they just play like they would every week. And 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 so I, I felt like, like I kind of got a natural sound just doing that, you know. Yeah. Um, and so that's just the way... I kept approaching it up until like I don't record so much anymore like because mixing and mastering is so busy but you know the latest stuff I did like you know the last Dick Diver record or like Orb or something like that I still not much had changed in the way I did it I just probably had some better mics and learned to not do stupid stuff so much um <laughs> and having said all that like I do love you know when people do get it right and go to a proper studio and it sounds you know big and also amazing like it, not big and horrible but like um i don't know sometimes real proper expensive recordings sound great uh, i just i just don't know how to do that <laughs> <laughs> but so how do you go then recording your like solo electronic stuff which is probably just one person overdubbing and overdubbing and and programming yeah i, I guess i can just go back to like how i started making music like um uh, you know maybe i've gotten a little better at like getting better sounds in the first place and 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 maybe just not laboring over i don't know i think i used to spend a bit more time to get like to the same place so yeah well, that's just experience isn't it yeah and i think i think i've realized that over whatever project I'm in over the course of making music, um, all the things I spend less time on are the things I enjoy the most in the end. Um, so 
so I try I try my best not to labor over things and just kind of leave them almost demo-ish um yeah which I don't know sometimes I feel like I just say all this and I'm just making excuses for laziness but um. <laughs> but it sounds pretty cool though I mean I I was listening to your um your move volume one solo record which is your electronic instrumental record and it sounds so beautiful like it's really uh, textural it's I don't know, maybe you feel this way about your own music, but everything I do, be it, you know, because even like Total Control Records and stuff, I've recorded myself, so I can't, I can't take me out of it. Um, of course. Yeah. So every, everything I've done, you know, some more than others, but I, I just hear as like not real music. Like, like I hear all these, I can hear other people's music and it sounds like, Oh, that sounds like music that people make and it's recorded. Um, but, but You see yeah. the whole picture, but when you do it yourself, you only see your parts, your And it just sounds like really amateur. Like, and, um, I know that feeling. And, and just not real. <laughs> and like surely like people are hearing it and, you know, busting me. Like um, this is not real music. No, nobody else I, is thinking Yeah, I know, because I don't really think of anyone else, you know, to, unless something's dreadfully wrong with the recording. But I, I, especially when it is yourself and it's like 10 layers of yourself and, you you know, if it's a band, I can go, ah, oh, man, isn't my drummer sick or something. But um, when it's just yeah, me yeah. and me and me and me and me, <laughs> it's just like, I, 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 think, I think it's almost like listening to music in reverse, like, if you're listening to a record you love, you, you're, you're trying to extract positivity out of it maybe. But um, when I'm listening to my own mixes, um, all, all I can hear is, all I'm listening for is how I fucked up. Like, like oh, I should have I done that better. Oh, God, you know. Um, yeah. It's like when you cut somebody's hair and then you can't see them as a person <laughs> anymore. You can only see them as a haircut. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, I, you know, it, when you were saying that, I was thinking my, um, my last record, my last solo record mm-hmm. that I made, I worked on it with my brother who's an audio engineer and he, um, he co-wrote songs, he played on the record and then he mixed it and he mastered it which must be, you know, that's sort of what you go through every time. And I remember him saying it really fucked with him so badly towards the end of the process because he couldn't distance himself from any of it. You know, like he was just listening to the parts he played. He played drums on the record and he was listening to, like that was driving him crazy when he was mixing it. And and then, you know, and, and then mastering, he was like completely tweaking out about the whole process. So... Do you find that happens? Yeah, especially that solo record. Like I did all right recording it, like I didn't labor on it, but then I sometimes when I'm more like complacent in the early stages, I start backtracking wildly like at the end, like trying to – so I just got extremely doubtful at the final stage when I was sending off masters to the label and just going, oh, no, oh, no, 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 and just making those like tiny (laughs) – tiny like little changes in my girlfriend's you know like don't worry it's fine like um uh yeah stuff nobody else would yeah and i definitely made that mistake on like like the first total control album i recorded i see your friend kind of recorded half of it but like 
by, by the time I'd finished recording it and mixing it and I mastered that one myself, I, I was just like, I was just a freak. Like I had no concept. So like, <laughs> um, yeah, I just, that was, I think that's the last one of a band I've been in that I just did it all myself. I think everything, everything then, I, 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 at least the mastering stage is just like unhealthy for me to kind of take all the way. How do you go then finishing songs or like finishing songs from a writing process and then um, finishing songs from like a mixing and mastering perspective? Do you have trouble letting go? Well, the writing's easy because I don't know if, if you've heard any music I've made, but most of it's only got one riff in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like, and that's the band stuff and the solo stuff. But I, I guess the electronic stuff doesn't really have a destination and like, it's not so much like I'm writing the song as I'm mixing it kind of thing. Like it's not like I've written a song and then I try to put that down. I, you know, this, the whole thing is like made up, I guess. So there's, which is good because there's no like preconceptions or like pressure on it to be something, you know, it's just what it turns out to. But yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I, I think I've noticed in most things I do musically, like, the first 90% takes about 10% of the time and there's the last 10%, which is all the mixing and like little flourishes to make it feel like it has dynamics and stuff, takes 90% of the time. And that and that's the bit that's not fun. Um, you know, I wish I could just stop and just leave it always 90% finished because that bit's fun. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. Maybe you need to consider a career change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, but uh, with band stuff, it's a bit easier because I can, you know, write 90% of a song or 50% of a song or whatever. And, and then once they kind of decide what they're going to do on it, that kind of just fills it in and I'm stoked. It's like, ah, sick. He's doing that. That's awesome. You know? Yeah. So, so band stuff's a bit, a bit more easy. It just kind of, which, which makes me miss like being in an active band sometimes like especially like i guess something like eddie current was so like instant like if i took an idea of a song to practice like it would probably be pretty fully formed in like 10 minutes or it would be discarded as like that's rubbish or like it'd just be done and um i can't i kind of miss that kind of like instant ability to yeah that yeah to like finish something you know immediate yeah. feedback yeah Speaking of Eddie Current, what what happened? Like, is uh, is there ever going to be another album or tour? Uh, I don't think so. Nah. We did that one show a couple of years ago and, like, me, Brandon and Brad, the bass player, like, um, we kept jamming afterwards. Like, mm, my brother, who's the drummer, he couldn't jam because he just, like, started a new business. He was pretty, like, stressed about other things. But, um so I, I think more as an because like as 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 the four of us we hadn't hung out together that much for well, we saw all oh, saw each other individually like over the years but we, um mm. i think the best bit about that meredith show was like us just making the effort to hang out with each other each week so it was like ah oh, we'll just keep doing it and we'll have dinner and we'll just so we, we jammed together as the three of us and made songs with the drum machine for a while and um it was real fun, and Brandon then Brandon went overseas for a bit. I went overseas for a bit, and um, 
we just stopped doing it. Yeah, I don't know. Brennan's about to come back and he sent me an email and he was like, oh, we should jam again. But I, I think, yeah, it's probably never going to be more than that, like just an excuse to have dinner yeah. and see each other. And But, um, yeah, I don't... So it just sort of like fizzled out in its own yeah, way. Um, at, uh, yeah, I mean, at the time when it stopped, I don't think, like, I guess 2010, I don't think the others were ready i think they were a bit blindsided by my decision um i kind of knew i was going to stop it and then when i did i think they were they were understanding but they were they just i think they were a bit up you know a bit sad that it kind of maybe seemed to happen prematurely um yeah well i guess you were yeah you had like a massive following and you were doing lots of cool shows and making some cool yeah and like um you know, our, 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 yeah, our last shows were our biggest shows. Like, it was still going in the right direction, I think. But also, like, I, I think because, like, the, maybe the uh, sound kind of template of that band where, you know, it was very, like, I, I, it was very, like, one guitar sound and one bass sound. And I never wanted to change that. I wanted to always, like, make music within those kind of boundaries with that band anyway. Um I think after three records like that, I was just like, how many records do you make with that sound like this before they just are not very good? Uh, and I just yeah. thought like three records was a good run and and maybe, you know, <laughs> it's better off stopping now before we put out our, you know, sh- shitty sixth record. <laughs> People would still have bought it, I reckon. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and maybe we were still will put out our shitty six record. Yeah. You know, there's still time. But um, yeah. at, at the time, like, I was also, like, a band like Total Control where it was kind of the opposite where I could basically do whatever we wanted and it, yeah. and it felt okay. Like, um, that was really refreshing to me. And, I bet. And so I just wanted to follow that for a while, you know. And just, like, you know, now that I've done that for a few years, like, I was just talking about, like, oh, I miss the simplicity of just banging out a song. So... I guess, you know, I just follow, you know, try and follow whatever I'm kind of yearning for in some kind of way. Yeah. So how do you decide what to say yes and no to these days? Uh, kind of badly. Like, um, <laughs> well, I I usually, like, say yes, 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 and then, then I get stressed out and then I have too much on and I can't wait for all this to be over and I'm not going to say yes to anything ever again. And then, yeah. and then I spent about two weeks with this, like, nice, clear kind of calendar. And I'm like, oh, this is great. And then I start saying yes to everything again. Um, <laughs> I do exactly the same thing. Yeah. It's it's, a very, yeah. it's kind of hard to keep it balanced. But <laughs> I, 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 I don't – every year that goes on, like, like the idea that I'm going to go on tour, like, and play heaps of shows is, you know, gradually fading – like so that's easier to say no to um yeah i pretty much say no to every recording job because i just of the three things like recording mixing and mastering i think it was the thing i was the least good at so um i just thought i'm busy enough to just say just stop saying yes to that um unless they're like my real good friends or i love the band or something but um 
so yeah, with mastering and mixing job, I say yes to pretty much everything because I enjoy the work and I just get to sit at home and do it. But yeah, um, yeah. As far as band stuff, like I don't know. I just I basically just say no to everything, and then <laughs> if someone catches me on a good day, I say yes. <laughs> And then you're like, fuck, I wish I hadn't said yes. Kind of. I don't know. I'm still like, yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot in the last couple of weeks because we just had like a show at the Opera House as part of Vivid, which was great. I love like, you know, it's such an amazing building to hang around for the day. And I like, I like am totally humbled by the opportunity to get, you know, to be able to play there and. And I had a, yeah, I had a good time for sure. But then in the last couple of weeks, I played like uh, Zephyr and Al from Total Control. I have another band called Russell Street Bombings. And um, like I played a show with them. And that's pretty much just a spontaneous kind of, there's songs, but it's kind of like a spontaneous jam band. And then Al's got this other band called Snake and Friends that had a show last weekend and I played in that. And kind of same thing. There's like vague song structures, but you basically just get to make up whatever you want. And, you know, these are all just like 30 people. And um, I, I realised that I'm way more comfortable and way happier playing those shows than like a big show. Um, and I think it's just because, I don't know, like maybe it's the feeling of creating something on the spot like um you know with with, rather than like practicing how to play these songs that I wrote four years ago or something like that yeah and the pressure of delivering to yeah opera house or yeah uh, you know it's that's pretty weird yeah uh, uh, yeah I don't really maybe maybe I just it's probably a lot of it's like fear of you know (laughs) failing under pressure and stuff like that but also like in these other bands and projects i kind of don't have to be a focal point of any kind of kind of like yeah just kind of i can definitely relate to that too i think that's the kind of way i prefer to make music just kind of on the side amongst a gang of people you know just going back to what you were saying before you're sort of saying yes to all mixing mastering jobs mm-hmm. do you have a similar philosophy to mixing and mastering um, to someone like Steve Albini where you sort of work on everyone's projects at the same price and, you know, you, you don't get any points or royalties. You're just sort of working on it. Yeah, um, pretty much. Like I don't – I would never ask for a point of anyone for like mixing or mastering God. Like, they, yeah. There's so I've, many producers and, and, and mixers do these days. Nah, I, I I mean, even stuff I've recorded, I would never want. I don't know. I figure I do a job and people pay me and that's it. Like, I don't have any, like, you know, I didn't add to the music, I don't think. Um, um, even as a producer, though, I think that producers can add a bit to the music. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever really, I don't think I could ever call myself a producer. Like, because my, like, recording style is so, like, just, keep my mouth shut and stay out of the way like I don't think I don't think I have a right to kind of you know ask for points to anyone's yeah <laughs> um yeah and I just I don't know I don't think I'd I wouldn't feel right if someone asked it of any band I'm in and I wouldn't yeah I wouldn't want to do that no um I I'm happy like I feel I feel you know I guess what I do I'm pretty cheap compared to like a real studio but um 
I also think like I get to work from home and yeah, you know, sit around in my pajamas and drink coffee. And, <laughs> um, like you know, as someone's paying me to do that, like, uh, and, and that's reward enough as it is. Like, I feel like I'm super lucky that I can do this every day, and people like have faith in me to like you know mess around with their <laughs> you know their dreams. Yeah, that's lovely, and that's a great attitude to have towards you know you're you're so lucky that you get to love what you do for work. Yeah, so many people don't have that. Yeah, and like some days it's like it's just work or like I'm working on music that I don't particularly love or but even that's kind of cool like I guess the thing about like mastering anything is like it does force me to listen to things I wouldn't go out of my way to listen to and yeah that that can be kind of nice so like I appreciate the diversity of it all yeah mastering it always feels like witchcraft to me like I don't quite understand um, how people do it (laughs) yeah I think I think yeah, no, it's not as much. It's it's yeah. It's sometimes I feel, I feel like it's a little overglorified, but you know, <laughs> I I guess personally, like when I get like a lot of credit for it in like press releases or something like that, or you know, like I've had my stamp on the someone's record, like it, it just seems. Sometimes I feel like I deserve it. Like sometimes I think, oh yeah, I did kind of change that mix a lot and make it really good. But other times, like. You know, other times someone's like spent a lot of time mixing and recording a record and like I'm just a guy that spent like half a day or a day at the end just, you know, tidying things up and yeah. and I definitely doesn't deserve the credit that everyone else involved with, you know, deserves more, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I think it's witchcraft, but I think it's still pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's fine. Some days I think I do a really good job and I was like, yeah, I've like saved this record. But other days, like, you know. Hey, what was it, to change the subject slightly, what was it like working with Royal Headache? Because that seems <laughs> like a pretty um volatile band. You know, they've broken up a few times in the last few years. Yeah. Um. Did you you worked on that with Owen, didn't you, from Straight Arrows? Uh not really with Owen. The, the I mean, he did work on it, but I the first record I I they came down. It was kind of one of those things, yeah, at the time like, yeah, I was the guy that had the stuff and they'd just come down and do it. Um and they were friends of friends, like they're really Shogun's really good friends with Dan the Total Control singer and Yeah. Um so they just came down and played a show and we did it like in a weekend. Um, and I didn't, that, that part was easy. Like it was no problem. Um, and they're all, they're all super lovely, lovely dudes. I know like the last couple of years of the band have been a bit <laughs> weirder and more volatile, it seems. But, um, uh, yeah, that was, and then he, I think they, he took the, I think he ended up taking the instrumentals away and redoing the vocals with Owen up there. So, like, we both worked on the record, but individually. Um, yeah, that was a, a kind of, like, weird one to mix, actually, for, like, <laughs> various reasons um, <laughs> where it didn't seem like maybe the band was communicating that well with each other. Like, yeah. Um, you know, which can sometimes be the way, like, when you're mixing over the internet and passing things back and forth oh of course yeah but yeah totally i still think they're all marvelous dudes and marvelous yeah and and great records like they're yeah like they had songwriters yeah they had like a 
fucking lot of energy and and like they had something going on in those early days for sure and um did you record them all in a room as well yeah yeah i was just in a rehearsal room at like a rehearsal studio down here um that's awesome and yeah we we total control played a bunch of shows with them overseas like a few years ago like kind of towards the end before like half the band left and i could definitely it was hard to watch because like i could see like half the band not getting along with the other half of the band and, yeah and yeah yeah it's always tough yeah especially like when you know they're really nice people and it's, I don't yeah know. i think band dynamics are just always hard yeah and most of the bands i've been in have been with my best friends you know and and i still love all the people in those bands but once you get in a van for like a month or something like tough man you just want to kill each other yeah it's hard to not concentrate <laughs> on the most annoying parts of someone yeah, <laughs> totally <laughs> i feel like i can't let this interview go by without mentioning that we both got to support devo together yeah absolutely. <laughs> i'm actually i'm actually sitting in front of the um sign poster oh right are you oh. um yeah i mean devo were like since I was uh, probably like I guess post Rod Stewart and Kiss, but uh, you know from a very young age, like I was Devo, like one of my favorite bands. Me too. And, um, Did you freak out when you got asked to support Devo? I, I kind of had a sense that it might be, like I knew I I'd, I'd know I'd met Tim before, like Tim Pittman who brought him out, and yeah. um, I knew that he knew that I was a massive fan. And I knew that he liked my band. Um, yeah. So, like, so this I, was Eddie Current. Yeah. Current I, I thought there was a chance. Um, but, yeah, I definitely it was definitely like the um, one of the biggest kind of ticked boxes of my life. Um, me too. And I remember, um, yeah, he, he took me, I think it was the second show, I think it was the Horton Pavilion one. He, he asked if I want to go backstage and come and meet him. And I went back there and I just... I, know, I said nothing, like, coherent <laughs> at all. I was just a mumbling idiot and just f- froze, I think. But there, oh, I got no. a photo with them and, I, oh. yeah, I got the poster that they signed and I took one of, you know, how they, like, ripped the yellow suits on stage? Yeah. I, I, I took one of the arms and I still got that in Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of forgot to take many mementos. I got um a couple of... Um, I don't know if you saw that Mark had a couple of um, – he had some decks of playing cards of illustrations that he'd drawn and he no. gave me a couple of those. Cool. So I have those in a frame and I've got wow. a little Bob Bob to pick in a frame with awesome. those. Um, but, yeah, I feel like I had such a funny experience too because I pretty much went at the beginning – because we played four shows with them. Um, I thought, okay, I'm just – if they're assholes, it's going to ruin my childhood. So I didn't, I didn't want to meet them. I just thought I'm just going to like play the shows and it'll, that'll be the best. And then um, in Adelaide we were playing and I don't know if you remember, but I decided I made a really weird call of keyboard choices for that tour. I was playing two Roland SH-101s, which are both monophonic synthesizers. Really? So I, I, had, I never saw that. Wow. Yeah, oh, I so was I, probably like two... Too stupid to even know that's a weird choice at that stage. <laughs> well, so I basically I had like no polyphony. Well, I could play <laughs> two notes at once because I had two mono synths. Yeah. And um, 
but in Adelaide, uh, I I went like there's a couple of hip hop songs that regurgitated play where I would just walk off and side of the stage, stand mm-hmm. there for a while, and all of Devo were watching us play, and um, and I stood sort of like awkwardly next to them, waiting for them to finish the hip hop song, and uh, Mark Mothersbaugh leaned over to me and he said, um, "I really like your SH 101s," and I was like. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I was like, that's the best moment of my life. I wow. wanted to say to him, I, I play them because I love you. <laughs> that's but I cool. Just, um, yeah, I just went, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks. I tried to play it cool. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't have any interaction on that level. Um, yeah, I, that was pretty much it. Oh, and then in, um, I think after the Adelaide show, I, um, one of them, I, I think Mark came back back into our room and he got us all to sign regurgitator CDs and that felt really weird and then Bob came back and he was talking to me for a little while and I I started I was I think I was just laughing because I was nervous and then he yelled across the room to everyone he was like this girl thinks everything's funny (laughs) (laughs) that's cool I was like it's true but I was yeah I was really embarrassed (laughs) yeah I think I think the only interaction like that I've had with like playing with bands and like heroes is I played a festival in a different band like and we're right on before you know the monks yeah the 60s band wow like, that's yeah it was and, um, it was like their last gig before a couple of them died I think but um yeah that that was I was playing the same there was like two keyboards up there and then like one of them was being weird so I went backstage and he was like he was asking me which keyboard he should use. So we were just talking pros and cons of keyboards and organs with, you know, with the monks was. Wow. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. That was still amazing as like 60 year old dudes or whatever. But yeah. I mean, I thought the same of Devo, just, they were still so good. Ah, I thought they were like really, uh, they were really kind of raw. Yeah. Like, which was totally. amazed me. Like it just really sounded like, unpolished like the guitars were loud in the mix and yeah yeah it was so good like it was really i'm usually pretty disappointed by those kind of shows but yeah i absolutely loved it hey um i really wanted to also ask you about keyboards and what what keyboards you like and what keyboards you own and and what you like using (laughs) um i'm not a super gear nerd like i try to not be I don't know I probably never had enough money to like be a total gear hound but I don't know I, I've what's sitting around me I've got like a 202 which I guess is the sequencer version of a 101 yeah they're um, pretty good yeah but it's not like it's not like you can actually just play it um <laughs> I've got a poly 6 which is lovely oh yeah uh, I got this lovely. weird old k- kawaii thing called a I think it's called an f100 it's just like Kind of mono synth in the kind of similar to those, you know those cheap Moogs that Realistic did. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah, kind yeah. of like one of them. It's really erratic and it decides to play like strange notes sometimes. But when it, <laughs> when it feels good, it, that thing sounds amazing. You gotta warm it up a bit. Yeah, it just. It I've just... got heaps of those kinds of things since. Like you gotta leave it on for a day and then you can record with it. Yeah, totally. And then. <laughs> Um, I don't know what else is sitting around me. Um, there's a nice little. Have you ever played those little Yamahas? Those CSO ones. They're like just like. Yeah, I've got one of those. They're yeah. great. They got two really good sound. Like the the PWM sound, I think 
is great and they, 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 yeah. get, they also sound really bassy. There's like a they do. They've got a great bass sound. I actually think I, I was watching one of your um, Lace Curtain videos and I saw the CS1 in, in one of your it's videos. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I'm such a like whenever there's a synth in a video, I I have like synth x-ray vision. That's cool. <laughs> uh, but other than that, I don't, yeah, just an alpha Juno sitting around. Yeah. Um, I don't know, just a couple of drum machines. Do uh, you use um, some soft synths then on your recordings? Yeah, well, I, th- I think about two years ago, like I, um, I was probably used to be way more kind of analog synth, but, uh, about two years ago, I was like, like, I was sick of, you know, always looking backwards for inspiration, I guess. And like, you know, like, I'm just going to use this 606 on every, you know, drum sound I have, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and I bought uh, those, have you seen those Roger Lynn instruments? Yeah. Um, I bought one of them. Um, it's just like, you know, a hundred, oh, what is that? 90 like little pads of flashing lights that and each each little like it's set out like in a guitar pattern i guess so like it's five semitones above each row all right um so you can you know it's really easy to figure out like you know i'm sure you could you know figure it out in a second but um you know just to do like simple chord shapes but each each little pad is like velocity sensitive on its own and like if you move your finger up and down slightly on each square it kind of opens the filter up for that finger um left and right that's kind of slightly changes the pitch so it's like having like a you know aftertouch and a mod wheel on each fingertip um oh awesome and so I, i started messing around with you can plug it into a normal synth if it has like um like what's it called mpe like the multi-touch midi yeah but um i started messing around with like compatible soft synths when i got that and just having that it just made everything on the computer kind of sound like more liquid like because i guess unlike a normal synth where you hit a note and it's just like there's the note um yeah (laughs) you know every note changed every time you played it um and every time you kind of moved your hand. So I just, like, I kind of gave up around then. I was just like, I, I like the sound of sense. I like playing this thing. Um, I was traveling a lot at the time. So, like, I'd go to America for a month or two and I'd just put th- that in a backpack with a laptop. Oh, so and, luxurious. Yeah, like, last year I did a soundtrack for a movie and I, I didn't know I was going to get the soundtrack until I was already in America. And Right. But all I had on me was this instrument and um my laptop and a pair of headphones i was like yeah let me do it i want to do it and um so i just sat sat there and just with that and i made the whole thing and my girlfriend played like amazing my girlfriend played a uh, saxophone on on it too but like as far as like most of it that's all i needed um that's great and, and i was just like i'm kind of also anti-clutter i don't like a lot of stuff um yeah so just the ability to do that and like not worry about I know there's something so liberating about minimalism but I just haven't figured it out yet with synthesizers and also just like wasting half my day like with leads and like sequences (laughs) and stuff I know 
And I also like the ability to like get halfway through a song, like shut it down, and then you open up again. And the same synth sound is there. For oh you. yeah, that's pretty there, nice. There's yeah, there, there's there's so many like pros to it all. But um, yeah, I'm still on the fence. You know, I used to be all about analog, and mm-hmm. so in the last couple of years, I've started using soft synths and started demoing. Using I'm using MIDI a lot more than I ever did. Yeah, um, and it's it's nice. It's not it's not so bad. But no. <laughs> <laughs> I think even like MIDI and analog synth were like up until a few years ago, I was like still bewildered by MIDI and like sequences and stuff. Like, and um, and I I remember the first day like I bought like a MIDI breakout box with four outs and like you know and then i got a midi to din converter so i could hook up my poly six and stuff and then i like put it all to like logic so the space bar was like you know was the master of the the bpm or whatever and and um you know and i pressed space bar and everything started playing and, oh. and i was just like i was just gobsmacked <laughs> i was like sitting at home up here but it was about five years ago i was just like almost holding my head, just going, oh, my God, it works. Like, every, <laughs> you know, and you can just walk around the room and slowly tweak yeah. it. Yeah, it was, it was it's magic. Yeah. And I'm still just kind of, like, amazed that it, that it happens. <laughs> I love it. I know. I feel the same way. I think it's um, it's all pretty special. Yeah, like, yeah, just sequences. And Are you still using Pro Tools? Fifteen years ago, I just moved to Logic. Because you need the constant upgrades. Ah, uh, yeah. Like I, I think at the time I was like, they you still had to have the hard, hardware, and I like I was like, kind of miffed by like being kind of a slave to that, and um, yeah. So I just bought Logic and like an RMA interface. Um, and now I've just gotten so used to mixing in Logic that I just do it but you know they're all fine like they all get you wherever you need to go I yeah i think it's exactly wherever you get whatever you get used to but like i also just don't like the i get sometimes i get mixing jobs that are sent to me as pro tool sessions and i hate the like that whole freaking subscription base of the yeah, it's just kind of garbage hey um i really want to ask you my last question which is the question i ask everyone mm-hmm. and i know you feel a little bit like unprepared for this question but um, we'll see if we can come up with something. Um, what's your strangest show experience or the strangest thing that's happened to you because you play music? See, I thought of heaps of little things like, you know, if I could like combine. You can you can combine that. Lots of people tell lots of little stories. This Uber show that never really happened, but I've just like mythically like <laughs> placed them all in one setting. Do I, it. I mean, there's been those couple of moments like you were saying, like, like, uh, you know, where you're playing with your heroes or whatever, like Diva yeah. or whatever. And, you know, there was, uh, you know, as as corny as this is, like when we were playing in uh, Philly for the first time, I remember like Ian Mackay coming to our show and sitting on the side of the stage and like oh, as someone man. as someone that saw Fugazi when he was 16 and, was, and it was like a pivotal moment in like thinking I want to be in a band like that was just like oh my god I can't believe this dude likes our band you know yeah and um did you talk to him yeah he came backstage like he he'd he'd already emailed me just to kind of say yeah I like your band and stuff like which was like nuts you know in its own right but um he was like super super nice and um 
really sweet guy. So, um, and, was that and, Eddie Current as well? Yeah, yeah. And, and like, I knew he didn't live in Philly. And I was like, uh, you know, we were like, oh, do you come up here for gigs much? And he goes, because he caught the bus up. He was like, I've never done this in my life. Oh, <laughs> and I was so like, nice. no way. That's crazy. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, then he ended up coming like, you know, Total Control shows a couple of years later. Um, the last thing I remember was like arguing with him about the, the what's the kind of peak period of Billy Idol. Um, <laughs> what um, was your argument? Well, he reckons Generation X were great, but I, I kind of, <laughs> I just thought most of his solo hits were far better. <laughs> um, I don't know. So yeah, I guess there's that kind of stuff, but um, that's pretty great. I don't know. I, I, I think I think like you were talking before about bad tour like where you are sleeping on people's floor and like, yeah. things go wrong i think weirdly most of my favorite show experiences are from those times when things are bad um and kind of in- inexplicable and <laughs> you know there is terrible shows in terrible towns and you are sleeping in terrible places um, yeah why are they your favorite i don't know there's something uh, there was this one tour i did with like we were on tour in total control and my friends band uv race were also touring and um because they share some members um and at one stage there was like 11 of us including the driver in like a sprinter van going across america like not a new sprinter van like a really old one that was just hanging in there but um (laughs) it was uh, it was basically 11 people in a nine-seater van um and that was for like three weeks and wow um i I just i don't know maybe it's kind of like a sauna like it's not it doesn't feel good but like there's a certain amount of like um you know like when once you get to the other side of hell like it starts to feel (laughs) kind of weirdly enjoyable um yeah so i just remember like there was a few moments on tour where it was just bottoming out of this like this is this sucks so much that it actually started to feel like um, weirdly like real life hell. Yeah, I, no, but no, it got past the hell where it was just like all oh, right, right. Where it was like sadistically amusing, like <laughs> just I remember like there was a show. I don't know, we were in a run of shows, but we were in like Columbus, and there was I don't know if you ever played Columbus forget before. It's like no, kind of, never. I don't know, kind of bit of a. Ohio is super cool, but like Columbus feels like a bit of a kind of bro uni town. But like sure. we, we played a bar, you know, there was like seven people in there. It was just like a what are we doing here kind of night. But yeah, um, when you're traveling with eleven people and you try, like, I'm sure when you were in a band with three of was it, how many people were in second and three, three. Yeah, like it's hard enough to find places to stay, but when you're traveling with eleven yeah. people, it's like pretty hard to like impose yourself on people and yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so i remember staying in this like punk house in columbus after this really bad show and they're like yeah we've got heaps of room don't worry and like and then like two of us were sleeping on the kitchen floor and um, um the, the rest of us were in this like base i was like yeah everyone can sleep in the basement and it was like it was just like concrete um <laughs> Like it was actually a basement, you know. <laughs> it's just conc- oh, no. it's just concrete with like one light bulb and a and a drum kit. And um, I, I put my sleeping bag down and I turn around, and take my pants off, and 
and I turned back and, and like <laughs> the cat had pissed on my sleeping bag. Oh, and, no. uh, which uh, and the, the, I don't know if you've ever had a cat piss on the sleeping bag, but it, that smells like forever anywhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I was, yeah, I was, I just, just was standing there with no pants on and no sleeping bag, oh, and, no. and all I could find was a, um, like a suit jacket, and I just put that on me, and I just lay, oh. laid on the cement, and then we, <laughs> and then we had to get up at six o'clock to drive to Memphis, which is like an eleven-hour drive, I think, and um, oh, it was it was about forty degrees that day. And because there was too many of us in the sprinter, at that time, three of us had to lie in the boot. Uh, <laughs> um, Were you one of those three? Yeah, yeah. So it was my turn. And it was just like, <laughs> it, it was the hottest day. So I remember me, Dan and Zeph all had our tops off and we just sit, we were just lying there in boxer shorts. And um, <laughs> the, only, and it, the only way we could move to like roll over and like get a new position was we all had to move together because we were all kind of like <laughs> we're all like sticking to each other you're one beast yeah yeah like yeah we we're like gripping to each other and <laughs> i remember trying to read a book and it was just kind of going soggy with sweat and it was like, oh, no. um so yeah that was the next day of like driving oh for, that's um, grim and then we got to then we got to memphis at six o'clock played a played a house show who i think I think it was Ty Seagal, if I recall, but um, uh, we played a house show, packed up, drove straight to the venue and played another show oh, and then man. and then got back to some dude's house at like um, one o'clock in the morning and had a decent sleep. But I just remembered this too, if I recall, that on that same outing, like we spent two days at that dude's house and he's dog gave me bloody some kind of like weird fleas and I ended up like oh, having no. like these <laughs> terrible sores on me for the rest of the tour which I was too embarrassed to tell anyone about so I just kind of like, um yeah so I think I think that that kind of stretch of like a that's, that's a perfect sort of snapshot of what it's like to be on tour on low budget yeah I think I think yeah. anyone that like like a few times like friends or girlfriends have kind of said oh yeah well I'll know we're going to come on this tour and people just don't really understand it unless you yeah. have the payoff of like having a musical experience yeah um you There's know no and way you'd want to put like, yourself but, through it but like outside, outside that payoff like touring's not that cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> sometimes it is and sometimes it's not yeah I like if you have a great show and then like you meet people afterwards and like you know there's amazing experiences but like yeah a lot of you know two-thirds of it is just sitting in a car yeah that's true um <laughs> hey thank you so much for, for talking to me hey my pleasure i think i did i go way over time do you edit like the crap bits? yeah i'll edit most of that out